creeds and criticism meet. Split Frame of Reference Podcast. Welcome to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And today we are joined by our friends Ines McBride and Bobby Harrison to talk about, well, lots of things. Co-pastoring, COVID, the church planting, COVID, and egalitarianism. They're co-pastors <laughs> of the church we hope for. Yep. And so thank you both for joining us and taking time out of a busy Saturday to be uh, be with us and our noisy little tax break right here. Just pretend you guys don't hear the baby crying. It makes it so much more real. I feel, I feel everything. <laughs> he's not adorable in the least no, so, or disruptive. All right. Um, Doesn't yeah, bother well, us. Thanks for joining us and our baby telling us a little bit about your story. Um, just individually, so maybe Ines, if you could tell them just a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at, co-pastoring. Yes, I can I can start us off. Uh, my name is Ines Velasquez McBride. I am a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I am originally from Nicaragua. That's where I grew up. And I came to the U.S. Uh, for college, so I'm an older immigrant and uh, came to the United States when I was uh, attending college. So... I helped plant a church uh, right in the middle, right at the end towards my college experience in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was my first time on paid pastoral staff at a church. It was a church that called out um, the pastoral calling in me. I had been called to ministry, but didn't know that a woman could be a pastor. And that was the church 20 years ago that said, no, you are a pastor. And they called it out in me, affirmed it in me and ordained me. And so uh, at that church, I met my husband. Uh, we were both doing church planting a long time ago, and it was a church uh, that was intentionally multi-ethnic, intentionally with a heart for community, for the surrounding community, intentionally with a heart for racial reconciliation, and to, um, to represent the community around us. And I was on staff at that church for almost eight years. Mm. And then God called us to a different type of church, uh, actually my, my husband's home church where he had been since junior high and where Bobby, uh, my co-pastor Bobby Harrison and his wife Amy had been for a very long time. So the three of them, Amy and Bobby and my husband have known themselves, known each other longer than, than even I have. That wow. church had been predominantly white since its inception for over 20 years and they wanted to make that turn towards uh, a church that was more inclusive uh, racially. So we moved there, um, started serving there, and I was the first, um, I think it was the first Latina hire there. And that's where I met Bobby, who was uh, uh, the, the youth pastor at the time. I almost said co-pastor. <laughs> I meant youth pastor at the time. And Amy and Amy and I went to Bible study together and just, we became friends first, Amy and I. And then Bobby started including me in his ministry to young adults and to the youth and high school and middle school and doing that work, which was a completely different work to turn a predominantly white church that wanted to become more inclusive. Mm. Uh, was a lot, uh, a lot of work and different kind of work. And so that's why our stories kind of intersect um, 
of our families individually and together, becoming friends with each other and, and starting to unpack our stories, having proximity to each other as friends, but then also having proximity to the issues uh, surrounding uh, the brown community or the black community uh, in North Little Rock, Arkansas. So Bobby, if you want to, if you want to jump in as well, you, you can <laughs> read the story because there's parallel lines and then there's lines that intersect. Well, you guys jump in at each other's yes. story. That's we do that. That's we how do this that. works. <laughs> so I'll catch up a little bit and then keep going from where you left off. I grew mm-hmm. up in central Arkansas. I was born outside of Chicago and moved around a little bit until I was seven and then was raised in Little Rock Um, and being raised in the Bible Belt South, the heart of central Arkansas, Little Rock Central High, just down the road. Um, Seeing that being uh, immersed in that world, that was just the waters that we swam in. And for us, it was very much a black, white binary. Uh, That's what race looked like. That's what uh, segregation and separation in society looked like. That's what the lunchroom still Mm -hmm. looked like as I was growing up, but I really didn't know that. I don't know if I had eyes to see that yet as a kid. Um, My parents split up when I was seven and I would go every other weekend to the Catholic church with my dad and then didn't really go to church with my mom. Mm. But the gift that my mom really gave me was a lot of freedom. So in eighth grade, I moved to a new school and all the kids, they were talking about Jesus and church camp. And I spent the night with a friend and he said, we got to go to bed early on Saturday night because we're going to church tomorrow morning. (laughs) And I was like, what? Who goes to bed early on a Saturday night at a sleepover? (laughs) Like, what are we doing here? I'm sure there's a movie to watch. And we woke up and he took me to church and it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I just remember hearing um, the good news. I remember hearing drums on a stage for the first time. I was like, is this, is this okay? (laughs) Is somebody going to get in trouble? Because this is not the Catholic church that I was in with my dad last weekend. Um, Then I went to a camp and I really heard the expression of the good news for the first time. And my life was changed. I remember looking around at my peers going, y'all knew this? Was anybody going to tell me? Because I was 13 and I never heard the good news. And I went home and I told my mom, I'm a Christian now. And she said, well, what does that mean? And I was like, I... I don't know, uh, but there's this Jesus guy and he forgives us and loves us and I want to follow him. And so really middle school, high school, going into college, I just began to develop this love for the church. Um, I say that I have a crush on the church still because it's this tender, sweet spot. Um, it's almost this playful, childlike innocence. Uh, don't get me wrong. We've been hurt by the church and we've experienced all sorts mm-hmm. of brokenness by the church. But at the end of the day, there's still that sweetness There's still that beauty. There's still that aspirational quality uh, of the church that just still, still gets us, uh, still gets my heart. So as an S said, our church was homogeneously white and made a very intentional turn in Mm -hmm. the mid 2000s, hired a black pastor to serve as a co-pastor alongside of each other. Again, in the heart of the Bible Belt South, other pastors are like, hey, are y'all still doing that race thing? We're like, you mean the the gospel? Like, you mean the expression of like the lived out good news? And that on that we, well, yeah. yeah. And just this idea that maybe this was a trend. Uh, Maybe it's like, oh, we see that the McDonald's commercials are getting more diverse. So maybe the church should be more diverse. Um, Instead, it was the other way around. It was really the church recognized, oh, this was always the call. This was always what God had called us into. Um, I moved to Fuller in 2014 to come out here for seminary with my wife and our three kiddos. And I feel like there I went from uh, the black and white of the television to the color TV. I feel like I stepped into Oz, like the beauty of diversity and the kingdom. 
both at Fuller and greater uh, Southern California. I was there for two years and then it was just, how do I get Ines and her family to come out here? Because <laughs> uh, she was serving in a way that there was such a fullness of a calling upon her life. Yeah. And she was hitting this glass ceiling and just could not break forth from it. And I said, Ines, I think I found a place where the fullness of you gets to be the fullness of you. So uh, very subtly, not manipulative in any way. I, I mean, to coerce the system. I mean, anyway. you invited me to a homiletics class to just, just come visit. What, what kind of a non-manipulative thing that is? Just come visit this homiletics class, preaching class. It was the most kind-hearted manipulation of all time. Okay, okay, okay. Women <laughs> preach in a preaching class and go, wait, I could do this here. And there wouldn't be suspicion and shame attached to it. I mm. could just blossom and bloom and become the fullness of, of who I am. So yeah. I think it was in that season when we were both at Fuller that we began to go, huh, we've served together a lot in ministry over the years. Mm. Is there something more here? And we mm -hmm. began to ask that question together. Yeah, I think I... I like to say to people that um, a brochure did not bring me to Fuller. Uh, a brother did, my, mm -hmm. my brother Bobby, who was able to see, especially once you step out and once he came to seminary, uh, he was able to see and look back and say, Inez, you're being held back. You're in your corner office there. You're being held back. You think you're free, but you ain't, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he started you know, sitting at, at the feet of, of phenomenal theologians who happened to be women and who also happened to be women of color. I think we all have taken classes, Nick here as well with Dr. Love Seacrest. And he just probably kept saying, if you just could come see the type of women that are here, just running to the, to the fullness of themselves, if you could just see yourself here. And I said, no, listen, I, I'm not going to drag my family across from 2,000 miles and uproot them away from grandparents and all but i you know i could not even imagine the what i what i could be and i had always dreamed of going to seminary um and i even looked at a seminary in the south but uh thankfully i think god was saving that that season for a later season and so i i, I came to visit uh at that you know gentle what did you call it gentle manipulation kind-hearted kind-hearted kind -hearted. i like that word kind-hearted manipulation he invited me to preach at a church where he was attending at the moment and then just said, come, come to class with me. Come to a systematic theology class where a woman. You're mean. I like that. I mean, that you, so mean. Right? And then just move here. You. Just, just move you. here. Yeah, you <laughs> just come. And then, and then go to the preaching class because I know you're a preacher. You're going to like this. And Hey, it happened to me two years prior. I mean, I came out here <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I think my life is about to be disrupted. Right. I was just returning a favor that God right? had for me. Yeah. I mean, Nick, I left that preaching class and without even knowing our feet are walking towards academic. Adding, he said, you're going <laughs> to still waiting on commission. Day. Like I'm waiting right. for people to say, oh, you sealed the deal. <laughs> they, Here you go. Here's they never the gave you commission. They should. They <laughs> Heavenly ought to commission. Yeah. And you know what? This is another funny intersection around that time, Nick, somehow I found your blog and, and Allison's blog. And I even... I think I texted Bobby yeah. Um, yeah. one of those blog posts you were addressing, you know, one of those obscure passages that seem to per, per, um, uh, impede women from preaching and speaking and all those things. And I said, do you know this guy? Mm -hmm. He goes to Fuller. And I think either you had had a class with Bobby way back in the day. And so even before I came to Fuller, my eyes were being open to what Bobby was saying and to see another brother like you. So to see a Bobby, to see a, to see a Nick, 
um, affirming mm -hmm. women and digging deep into those verses, obscure verses that seem to limit the voice of women was eye-opening for me. Like I did not even know. I was an ordained pastor. I still was not sure about those verses and, and, and kind of cautious and overly cautious and still insecure um, in, in some aspects. And so I think Bobby could see that. And so he was catalytic in inviting me to come to a place that was fertile ground, fertile soil mm -hmm. for me to be able to run full, full speed ahead. So yeah, that's where our stories kind of overlap at Fuller Seminary and being introduced to other theologians of different backgrounds, seeing women, it was just another world. It was just like feasting at God's table. And for both Bobby as a white male, and he, he can tell his own story, but also for me as a brown woman, having to unpack machismo in, in my culture, having to unpack machismo in the way that I, that I um, interpreted scripture. And so the both of us were doing our own unpacking mm. And then imagining something bigger than what we had been told, hmm. right? And something bigger that we had been conditioned to believe about ourselves, about each other, about the church, about community. And so, yeah, I think uh, in doing life together and studying the scriptures together, doing exegesis in community, right? It should be a community uh, interpretation, a communal interpretation of scripture and a communal expression of church. God started just giving more and more revelation of what, what would it look like to even address uh, power in this co-pastorship relationship. So we felt called that God was calling us to, to plant the church together. You know, God gave more and more revelation about what that would look, could look like and what would it look like to do it together side by side um, in an egalitarian way in leadership, you know, across lines that divide ethno-racial lines, gender lines, and marital status lines, you know, brown white male female were not married to each other and to decenter it from that into a um into the way that maybe the trinity mysteriously leads together co-leads together even god in his greatness doesn't mm -hmm. lead alone there are three persons in the trinity and that is such a mystery and we i think we were captivated by that mystery as well hmm. right, bobby <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. bobby but i don't want to tell you. i mean you don't have to so as I graduated from seminary, uh, there's this real wrestling. I had I'd read this children's book uh, sometime in that year of discernment. You know, that last stretch of seminary where you're not really sure what's after that. You're going to get the certificate, but you're like, ah, where do I walk after I walk off the stage? I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. Um, I'd read this children's book called What Do You Do With an Idea by a writer named Kobe Yamada. Hmm. And uh, I would give that to any dreamer, entrepreneur, church planner. Uh, but the whole idea was that, that maybe there's something in you that's not of you. Maybe there's something big inside and there's some fear and hesitancy for it to come out. And I remember journaling in that season, God, is there a church plant in our future? And so it was the first time that I was really open to it. Um, you know, you're in that fear and trembling state before you graduate. And so you're open to anything at this point. Uh, but our church back home in Arkansas called us and said, mm -hmm. pastor who's been here for 30 years is ready to retire. And we would still like to have a white pastor alongside of a black pastor. And so as this white pastor steps off and moves into his next ministry assignment, would you be willing to come back home? So my wife and I, after a ton of prayer, a ton of communal discernment, I love how Inez, you highlighted that earlier, and she was a part of that process with us. And I even remember her calling and saying, I've been praying for you, and I would love for calling us- Calling and crying. 
I would love for you to do something together, but I feel like God's calling you back to Arkansas. And I said, I feel the same thing too. And so we went back to Arkansas and we had changed and the church had changed and we didn't realize how much change had taken place until we got there, until there was feet on the ground, uh, until we began to walk around the church lobby and, and just saw there's lines in the sand that have been drawn here. The only thing I could point to is the 2016 election. Uh, this was uh, a multi-ethnic, but white, predominantly evangelical church in the Bible Belt South. And I used to say it was the church with all the bumper stickers. If you drove in, you're like, what is this? The <laughs> only place this potentially diverse, even in the parking lot is the DMV. And what could possibly bring <laughs> these kind of people together? And uh, for us, it wasn't a what, it was a who Jesus could bring us together. And there was a real beauty in that. There's a lot of give, a lot of take, uh, but it felt like there was more taking in this season and more just saying, no, this is, this is where we draw the line in the sand. And this community that used to be able to come together was now breaking. And we are really a part of that. Um, as we were in that process, I remember sitting in an elders meeting and we would talk about race. We would talk about gender and the conversation of a woman being a pastor in this church uh, came up and there was an elder sitting across from me in that room that said, a woman will never be a pastor in this church. Never. It's not happening. And I went into the opportunity. I went into the job with a lot of hope and even some saying, Hey, if I'm coming, we're going to have that conversation on a consistent basis. We're going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to go there. Um, but here was a guy sitting across from me saying, it doesn't matter how many times you crack open my Bible. A woman will never be a pastor or elder in this church. I will, I will stop it. Yeah. And something broke in me that day uh, that had never been broken to that extent before. I feel like I had the theological, the head knowledge of women in all levels of leadership in and out of the church. But it wasn't until there that I developed the heart knowledge, the real heart brokenness. So went home, broke down with my wife, just held each other and then just said, Lord, if it's not here and if it's not this, what is it? And God immediately brought Inez back to mind mm -hmm. and said, what if there's another dream? What if, remember that children's book? What if there's something in you that's not of you and it's bigger than you? And so with, again, with a lot of fear and troubling, we put Inez on the phone and we said, hey, what if there's a church that we're called to lead together? And I feel like she was just like, I told you so. I've been waiting on this thing for the past I've done told years. you so. <laughs> I don't even have to pray about it. Like we're, I've just been waiting. I'm in, let's go. And so we weren't freed yet. We, we still had a lot of work to do in that church to try to help steer it and to try to be faithful to that assignment before the Lord released us. Uh, but that's when it began. And it began actually um, out of a place of brokenness. It began mm. with something breaking like labor mm. pains before something could be birthed. And once that birth happened, there, there began to be the stirring of joy, but it was also uh, with a lot of brokenness that had to take place before that. Mm. And I want to honor Bobby's uh, journey. He is very gracious and just kind of giving those, those points. But in those two years that Bobby was there, um, his theological convictions, like he's saying, he had this good head knowledge. He like, he had gone through all those verses and exegeted all of those, you know, verses and yeah. But but when push came to shove, those pushes and those shoves were aggressive towards him. And it was then that I saw my friend as like a true brother in the faith and ally. Um, uh, he was tested and tried and pushed and shoved. It was costly. Um, and he will probably downplay in this in this place because he's God honoring of 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 his scars. But or maybe not, you know, maybe we'll share some more, but um, mm -hmm. I saw him suffer on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And um, when I think about it, the only image that I get in scripture is when Jesus uh, was drawing with his finger on the ground and they were about to stone that woman. 
and they picked up their stones and just um, kill her, you know, uh, after being caught in sin. And uh, it was that kind of bold, confident gentleness mm-hmm. um, and bravery to stand in costly solidarity. My brother uh, took some hits for me that only my husband and my father mm-hmm. have taken throughout my whole entire life. And it was in those moments that your theological convictions become tested and it's either practical or theoretical, right? And that's when, when push comes to shove, you, you learn what you're made up of. Yeah. And my brother learned what he was made up of. And I learned what he was made up of as a, a just a, a redeemed brother in the faith. Um, he wasn't just standing for me, standing up for me, but standing for other women like me, standing for his daughters, st- his daughter standing for his sons to imagine a different kind of gospel that is truly good news to all people, all women, all people of color, um, all marginalized. But in those two years, um, I know that's his story to tell, but I just want to honor what I saw. And that testing and that trying of those convictions showed me that um, we could stand by each other. Like, we could we weather some storms, but he took a lot of those hits on my behalf, sat in those rooms on my behalf, advocated for me in those rooms on my behalf, because I was never in the room where those decisions were made and happened because it was all male elders. Wow. And so I think that just solidified my brother um, and also showed me what a true white male ally uh, could look like. And I wanted to be, I wanted to pastor with that kind of person with that kind of disciple, first a disciple, first follower of Jesus, that would be so enamored by the good news of Jesus, so captivated by who Jesus is and was and will continue to be. Um, He was a visible representation to me of of, of a Jesus that loves women, of a Jesus that uh, amplifies the voices of women. And so that is very precious to me. His scars are precious to me. um, And I'm so grateful, you know, and I, I, I know there's other other men like him, but few that will take those cuts for you. Few that will stand in that costly solidarity. So, thank you, sister. Yeah, yeah we um, we say that we're not ashamed of the gospel that brought us together, um, and that that brought us together is a visual image for many when they hear us say that because they see the two of us side by side, and it's this realized expression of oh. That's also what it means to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the realized relationships that God has called us into to, to lead with. And for those perhaps who are listening, who find themselves uncertain about where they stand on certain uh, weighty issues, I would say, follow your footsteps. Uh, So often when something was being challenged or threatened or questioned, my body kept putting itself back in the way of it and just saying, no, this is where we're standing and I'm not moving. And even when you were wondering in my head, this is right, right? I think this is right. This feels right. Uh, my body kept saying, yes, follow me. Uh, keep following your footsteps where they're taking you and trust that those footsteps are being led by the spirit um, because that was a trying time. Uh, but we moved from there into what we believe is a spacious place where we have a new freedom to imagine and to dream. And, and as our church is called the church, we hope for a new place to hope. And that's been really a gift. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, and just backpacking just a little bit, uh, is that church still the church you moved from, Bobby? Is that church? And you don't have to answer this or anything. No, like, no, no. Wide open book. Yeah. Did they uh, have they shifted on women in ministry because of any of the stuff you did, or did it become more, for lack of a better word, a church should never be concrete? 
Yeah. It should always have some sort of give or flexibility. Did you, did the church, has the church become more concrete as a result or less concrete as a result, or, or is that just above what you know, just, yeah, no, the, the church has concretized. Uh, it has <laughs> solidified. It became concrete. You <laughs> said, here we are, we ain't budging. And, and what really happened, uh, Nick, it was bigger than just women. It kept being boiled down to that. But the larger question, uh, there was this group of people within the church that began to question whether there was even such thing as interpretation. So that became a dirty word. That became a muddy word. There's oh. just one way to read any verse, any scripture, any passage, there's a correct understanding and interpretation left itself way too open. And so women was a part of that. You know, that's an extension of that conversation. But at the root of what we're really dealing with was people who weren't really willing to even understand the idea of interpretation, which after we've been to seminary, you're like, you can't take that from me. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful gifts of the body of Christ is that we get to come together and interpret this. So I left a few months after that, um, my former mentor who actually helped raise me up in the faith in the pastor, pastoral ministry, he came on as an interim pastor. Uh, three months after I left, one Sunday morning, he stepped down and said, I can no longer stand with this. Um, this idea that unity must be uniformity, um, that oneness must mean sameness. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ. And so he stepped down. And then a few months after that, the church actually split. So the church officially moved into a split after we were already stepped away in California, away from the whole thing. And it's crushing. It's sad. This is the church, again, that I had a crush on my whole childhood, young adulthood, raised us up into ministry and has done such beautiful things with such a pillar of hope and light uh, in the South. And uh, it's now been fractured into two bodies of believers. And that's still, I don't get any joy out of that. That's heartbreaking. Um, and I still hope that God can somehow, uh, use that, uh, for God's good. Here's a, maybe something for you guys to respond. I know there's people that would say like, oh, well, you know, the problem is, you know, divisiveness, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so maybe, you know, the whole women race question that's secondary, um, we, we really need to focus in on what matters and not like try to push things that people aren't ready for or don't believe in. Um, what, how would you guys respond to something like that? Bobby? <laughs> well, there's, there's verses, you, you know, have so many examples because of that season. Yeah. yeah. You guys are, um, people say, oh, Bobby's being divisive and yeah. was yeah. Bobby being divisive or was racism being divisive? No, seriously. Yeah. yeah. There were verses that began to be used in that kind of way. Um, yes you know, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, verse 3. And you would hear that verse and it had once been so beautiful. And now it felt like it had been weaponized to say, you need to not focus on any of those other things that could really threaten the unity. Uh, but at the end of the day, what unity are we talking about? We're talking about a unity that'll continue to protect people of privilege and power. We're talking about people who actually get to be in the room where it happens. They get to decide what the unity is. But what about the people that don't get any access to that room? Uh, yeah. Our Black, Indigenous, people of color in the congregation. Uh, our women who don't have access to all levels of leadership. Can we really have unity in a context like that where they don't get access to that? Uh, so again, that's the place where unity was really uniformity, uh, where oneness was really sameness in that's no unity. That's not what I see in the body of Christ. When, when Paul tries to lay out this whole thing of, yeah, we're one body of many parts. 
and and the one body seemed like it had just been uh, morphed into one being with no shape, one being with no appendages, one being with no distinctions all across it. Um, and I think that that's a real danger for the church, a real danger for the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people don't realize just that they actually are compromising the heart of the gospel by, I mean, frankly, not caring about the people being marginalized. And I mean, besides that, like, I don't know, it, it's interesting because I, I didn't know, you know, specifically about your situation, whether that verse got thrown around, but you can almost predict it's going to come up anytime. Right. right. It's kind of more of a totalizing, maybe group with issues of power they're usually going to use that for anyone who mm-hmm. you know they're basically the ones that are being divisive i guess by being racist or sexist or you know leaving large swaths of people without voice yeah. it's- and at the end of the day it really could be a beautiful thing when, when paul says make every effort yeah. Well, let's let's blood, sweat, and tear this thing together. Let's really grin down and uh, mourn with those who are mourning. Let's listen to the cries of the people who have different cries than we have experienced. That is an effort to actually be able to transform, have a metanoia, have a repentant change in your life. Uh, wow. If we're willing to do that, that's beautiful. That's a gift of the church. Uh, but if we're not, we're going to skip the effort part and just throw up unity like it's some ethereal, can't really tangibly touch this thing. And I think we're missing how the kingdom comes on earth in concrete, realized relationships and practices. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, the people that marginalized are ones that miss out. Like, you know, it's not this condescending thing where, oh, we just help the less fortunate. It's like, no, you're, you're sinning and you need to stop. (laughs) Like you're sinning right now and you need to stop. And for your own like spiritual, like health and Mm. I would say. Well, and you also have, I mean, the, the, Unity is often code word for uh, ideological safety. <laughs> yeah, there mm. and and mm. I think 2016, and I see this across the board. And I, I'm not saying like I'm above it all. Like I get yeah. it, but I saw I saw like concrete. Everything after post 2016 became like concrete. Yeah, and yeah. either you moved so fast you became a wrecking ball, or you didn't move and you got swamped. And I think a lot of people are across across the spectrum of christian christian faith across Mm -hmm. all of that a lot of people were willing to trade the complexities of faith Mm. and with people that are to joke as a baptist you put five baptists in a room you get 50 interpretations and (laughs) Um, baptist is greek for we disagree you know that's well depends on the baptist group right right. depends on the baptist group (laughs) uh but I've noticed that a lot of people traded uh, that the complexity of dealing with daily life together, yeah. people with whom you disagree and church has basically become at least in, at least speaking in the Southern California background where I came from, if you're a pastor, you're basically a functional CEO, you're Tim cook from Apple. You're yeah. not an actual mm. and, and that's not to knock CEOs. I like CEOs sometimes, but <laughs> a lot of what I saw was this kind of, um, country clubness mm. the church became a country club for a certain ideological bent and that's something i i really gets under my skin because as you said bobby and you said in us there is a sense which the body of christ is not meant to be same mm. like you can, mm. i don't know how it can be that's mm. kind of the it defeats the whole purpose of what uh, the body is in the body mm. of christ it's mm. it's differentness i mean when we talk galatians three twenty eight, that famous baptismal text you know 
Um, everyone is colluded with the status of a firstborn son. Not everyone is a firstborn son, but everyone has the status and rights and privileges of a firstborn son. But men and women don't just suddenly, suddenly become slapped together. And, oh, we don't need women because we have- this, We're all the same, right? We're all the same, right? So you don't need women or you don't need people of color. You don't need people of lower socioeconomic status or who are underprivileged or repressed or marginalized. And it's kind of like, well, no, maybe we just need a better way of thinking beyond just safety and ideology. And it's yeah. good to have an ideology or, or, or a theology. I, I'm not knocking that like a common core of beliefs, you know, we come to a table around this sort of kind of mm -hmm. concept, but it seems like people post 2016, everything became about protecting the country club. Then it did yeah. become about and on both sides too. I would say the gospel, not out. just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what y'all think, but that's what I saw, at least in my kind of subculture that I come from in, uh, in 2016, just brought everything to light for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think your word of uh, the inability to handle the complexities and back to what Bobby was saying that happened at this church um, that, there was a curriculum that was being used, um, being tested at this church called First Principles that taught mm -hmm. that kind of ideology of like, you can only interpret scripture one way and the Bible only says one thing. And so therefore it says one thing about women. It says one thing about race and the inability to have that expansive imagination and to have that, um, you know, that ample interpretation uh, out makes us look at the book of Acts just in 2D rather than 3D. Yeah. Just we need to look at the world as we've been taught, you know, behind the text, the world in the text, but also the people that are reading the text. Well, this is what it looks like to me. And I think, and both Bobby and I took race and ethnicity in the New Testament with Dr. Seacrest. Mm. And then I took um, a mission class with Dr. Martinez as well. And, and I know Bobby took Dr. Martinez as well. But when we were reading through the book of Acts, the witness of the spirit, was pushing those complexities the jew and gentile framework to us was a framework to understand uh, our current ethno-racial relationships what the spirit was doing in the book of acts pushing peter to cornelius's house pushing peter to eat with gentiles understanding why the uncircumcised believers you know were upset that he was having like pork tacos with the gentiles like what are you doing man like what are you doing you still smell like bacon you can't do that and so being able to look at the scriptures with that complexity and then being able to apply it you know to the current race relations and the history of race relations in the u.s and then also gender relations the inability to do that just stumps our imagination for church for community life and then we just like bobby says we get a cheap diversity yeah. um rather than the rich 3d inner interracial inner inner intergenerational relationships that we have in a community that in the book of us they didn't even know what they were going to be because they had been so segregated for for a long time but it was a a case study of segregation to integration so if they had issues doing that, of course, we're going to have issues doing that as well, because we have mm -hmm. to unpack the ideologies that have kept us from each other, you know, so still to this day, we're talking about it because they didn't figure it out. We didn't figure we haven't figured it out. completely. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to add just for some of you like listening, um, having believing that there are potentially multiple meanings in a text does not mean that anything goes or that we get yeah. relativism. Um, that's a, I would say false dichotomy that there either has to be one meaning or, or any meaning. Um, it, that's, that's not how it goes. Like you can still be very textually based and believe in kind of a broader understanding of how um, God interacts within scripture, I would mm -hmm. say, and through um, people. So um, if you guys want to read more, I recommend, and these are a little bit 
well, maybe a lot more academic, um, reading some Paul Ricoeur or about Paul Ricoeur and um, E.B. Hirsch. Um, a lot of people read um, his validity and interpretation, and that's his very early work that everyone appeals to for more conservative hermeneutics um, and where there is this one meaning. But his later articles, uh, he actually changes and he's very textually based, but he believes um, things are a lot more multifaceted. So some interesting stuff, you guys are interested. Yeah. Tommy and Love slapped this into me was, the Bible can mean many things, but it can't mean everything. That's good. That's or anything. Yeah, Say anything. that again. Anything. Say that. <laughs> uh, the scripture can mean many things, but it can't mean anything. Yeah. You can't just use it to mean whatever you want in the moment. Um, and so, I yeah. mean, because that's another power move. You it's know? not a rock. Like, mm-hmm. rocks have one purpose, thrown. Like, <laughs> in your case, well, Bobby and Ash, you've seen it. You know, rocks are for throwing, you know. You listen. So it's just, it's. I, I love how Inez calls us back to that communal calling. What's well, discerning, uh, wow. but it's also the reading of scripture. And so I think when the context of community, and if you're reading that in community with God, uh, with a local realized community, and also the communion of saints that have gone before you, uh, there's so much more to see and so much more to hear. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, move a little bit. Cause like we've gotten into, you know, just folks that there's only one way of doing things and reading things. And it happens to be mine. Um, conveniently, but you know, and there's, it gets into a lot of questions on power, you know, on a practical level, you know, for, for the good of everyone, are you willing to do things that are fundamentally, um, acquire accumulating power for yourself, but yet you guys are doing more of a, well, you guys are doing a co-pastor model. Um, and would you mind telling us a little bit, just, um, practically speaking, um, just how it works for you to, to co-pastor? Um, who has the final say when push comes to shove? <laughs> supposedly, you need someone. I think loves that question. <laughs> I mean, you can, always, you can always like flip a coin. I, I would think, you know, if you really need a or just submit but... to male headship. That just makes everything. Oh, oh. wow! <laughs> can we just draw lots? I think that's in the Bible too. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, there we go. <laughs> we should try that. We have it. Yeah, so we're asked that line so many times when push comes to shove, and we just always say. Does there have to be pushing or shoving? Is there another way that does not necessitate neither pushing nor shoving? All right, Pastora, take us into that. Listen, you know what we have realized, even as we've been unpacking racism and sexism, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Conde-Fraser says that racism is self-perpetuating and not self-correcting and Mm. must be interrupted. And Mm. so I'd like to add to that line of this wonderful theologian that racism and sexism are self-perpetuating and not self-correcting. And that have they have been self-perpetuating since the curse in the garden. So unless something or someone like the cross of Jesus Christ interrupts that, it's going to keep going the way in, in deterioration and also in de- deterioration of our relationship with each other. So what we have found out, Bobby and I, is that at the root of racism and sexism is a, a grasping for power. But that is the power dynamic that's happening. That is what happened. Uh, you know, the serpent was, cro- was, was cursed. The earth was cursed. The woman was not cursed in the garden. But that theology of domination of one body over another is the foundation for all the isms that dehumanize the other, whether it's by race or socioeconomic or, or different status or colorism or ethno-racial, you know, that is at the basis, at the core, and one having to have power over the other. 
And so we are very intentional, therefore, to in this co-pastorship model to say we are equal before God. We believe that we were created in the image of God, that Adam and Eve were created as humans equal before God, equal in authority, equal in power, equal in, in a lot of things, and equal with each other, standing side by side. We've studied the, the text. We've studied the Hebrew and just keep seeing this man, this woman side by side. And that's the freedom that God, that's the spaciousness that God gave them in the garden, but the serpent came, right? And I think has wanted to pit us against each other and say, I need to be in control. I think that was a seed of doubt that, that the serpent put in the woman and also in the man. And we've been like pitted against each other ever since. Mm -hmm. uh, Bobby likes to talk about Shalom also from Dr. Elizabeth Conifration. I love the way you put it together, Bobby. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reading. I'm just reading. That's not me putting it together. Like you just using my mouth to read her words because they're so beautiful. But she just says that Shalom is not about shifting power from one center to another, um, which I think is what we're, we're currently in for the breadth of history have been involved in. It's just a lot of shifting. Wow. Shalom is not about shifting power from one center to another. Rather, it involves distributing power among all equally. And I love that this is not ignoring power or being naive to power. It's actually about the sharing of power. We say the power that we possess is the power to share. Wow. Um, so she continues. She says the journey from hospitality to Shalom is one of the spiritual practices that free us from the inclination to dominate and control. Because when we talk about power, it again goes to pushing and shoving and dominating and controlling. Um, but she says that these teach us, these practices, to be servants to all people so that all are served equally as brothers and sisters. Um, we often communicate to one another that we are not naive to power dynamics. We recognize they're in the room. We recognize that often as an, as and I step into a room, that there is an expectation built up over many years and many more abuses of power that I am the leader that at the end of the day, I am the real pastor. We've been in rooms asking churches to support us and there will be a pastor sitting across that is only making eye contact with me and, yeah, to, stuff like that. and to distribute it. I have to do something totally awkward. I have to just turn my face and only look at an S. Oh, nice. You're not going to only make eye contact with me. It's just going to be awkward. You're just going to look at my ear if you do that. <laughs> so I will look only at an S until I see that this white pastor across from me finally catches it and goes, oh, yeah, no, y'all are trying to break a paradigm. You're doing something different. And it involves practices like this. So we said we're not naive to power dynamics. We're just longing to tap into a more dynamic power. And that dynamic power is what we see in the Trinity. It's what we see as you think about the practicality of this. What did it look like for Jesus to surrender and submit to the fellowship of the Father? What did it look like for Jesus to surrender and submit to say, I'm going to lay my life down, trusting that the Spirit will pick me back up, that if I lay this down, that there will be this spirit power that resurrects this thing. And so I think for us, we're just trying to follow in the footsteps of a brown Jewish rabbi who is always willing to lay down power, trusting in the communion that he was in, Father, Spirit, and Son, that that power would not be lost, but actually a more dynamic power would come of it. So when we think practically, it means often following the other one. It often means saying, hey, how about you lead us this time? And we look at each other, we try to pray, we try to have this instinctual understanding of what that might mean before we walk into a meeting. We might say, hey, you drive, I'll sit shotgun, um, whatever that might look like. And if we find ourselves in a place of disagreement, uh, and as you wanna walk through just some practical practices of what that looks like for us. 
Yeah, we do it. We do intentional. Intentionality is important, like saying you drive and in this room or you take the lead this time because it's important for maybe the other person across the table to see what it looks like for a woman to lead and then uh, a brother to follow in a respectful and just powerful mutuality, right? We do it also in when we when we disagree, what we say is that um, uh, we are committed to each other if we if we disagree. We, are, we may say to each other, I disagree with you, but because I'm committed to you, because we believe in the covenantal community of God, the church ought to be a covenantal community, but because I'm committed to you, I'm going to follow you this time. And we look at pros and cons and all that thing, but when we make a decision together, we act in oneness as a united front. And then we look back and say, how did that go? Maybe it went well, maybe it didn't go so well. And I think we, we, we want to walk in grace and humility to give each other a chance to say, oh, this this worked out the way I was expecting it to be, or that did not work out the way I was expecting it to be. Because all of us know that being a leader is hard enough and taking risks and being courageous, you don't always know the outcome of things. And so when we have to make decisions together, we try to present a united front because we know how hard it is to lead anyways. And to have fellowship of 50, 100, 200 people that are expecting maybe perfection, but to be willing to risk and be courageous in the mystery of what happens on the other side, you know, um, and we, you know, that, you know, who's the first among equals, uh, what's your 5149 when, when push comes to shove, that comes up for us a lot. Um, but it also comes up when we, when we disagree about something and have to resolve conflict. So we, we talk about conflict transformation and conflict not being crippling, but catalytic and to actually, unite us even more than we were before. Uh, we have, because of all the layers of race and gender not married to each other, we are committed to each other in covenant relationship, which I think exists outside of marriage, in covenant friendship, mm -hmm. to say, I am going to fully and faithfully reconcile with you even when we disagree, because the stakes are so high. The stakes are high when it comes to ethno-racial relationships. The stakes are high when it comes to male-female. The stakes are high because we're not married to each other. What would it look like for others to see that we can disagree agreeably and not kill each other, not kill the other? So we all know who's we, winning that fight. Say if, what? Y'all are going to try and kill each other. We all know who's winning that fight. <laughs> I don't know. I, I call it micro reparation as well. You know, we're just trying to do micro reparation in in those ways that the spirit is joining us together, and it's not like why does it have to be one like. I have the veto power. I just think that that's where we get tempted with that misuse of power, that abuse of power. And that, that can be tempting to me too. Yeah. I I'm have open. veto power. Yeah. I am fully sinful. I can totally be like, I'm going to tell you what to do. Amen. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want that much power. I really don't want that much power. There's such safety and, and, and spaciousness when the two of us are thinking together, because isn't that what the Trinity is? And when we come together, we see different angles. We see angles that the other didn't see. And Bobby helps me with my blind spots. I would hope that I continue to show yeah, him his sure. blind spots. And when we put ourselves together, we realize, well, this is the full personhood of God. I don't know the Father without the Son. I don't know the Son without the Spirit. And so even in that mysterious dance, we're trying that perichoretic dance, right? We're trying that t Trinitarian dance that there is no manual for this, except we're trying, you know, trial and error, trial and error. 
um, to move forward. I don't know if you want to add. And just to make it even more uh, realized for people, I don't know if we've laid this out explicitly yet, but I'm a blue eyed white male from the Bible Belt South, born in the United States. My co-pastor is a Latina immigrant, brown eyed woman from Nicaragua. Um, And that's what God's bringing together. And so when we think about what it means to share, often what it means to share is for the one who has historically had more access to power the white male. It means to model what it might look like to follow and what it might look like to have a preferential leaning towards listening and learning from the women in our church and the sisters and brothers of color in our church. And so there is a reflex in our body, in our leadership and in our fellowship um, that we are going to lean towards listening to women. We're going to lean towards listening to people of color, as Ines said, almost as a micro reparation of saying we do have to turn another way with great intentionality because it has just been so embedded in us through our culture, through our church practice for so long that white male leadership, what we would even call headship if we want to put a biblical name upon it, and we just see something different. Christ is the only head of this church. And for us, we follow in the headship of Jesus Christ, moving in that dance of the Trinity, being welcomed into that. Um, But when we think about practicalities, often it might mean, even in your context, what would it look like for white men to follow the leadership of brown women, um, two of the most polarized bodies in our country right now? What would that view of the kingdom be for people to witness and to bear? And I also love to say that I I have such a passion and Bobby as well to amplify the voices of women and especially women of color, but not at the expense of my brothers, because um, I could I could I could do dehumanization just as much towards my brother and brothers. Right. And so it takes nothing away for us to amplify the voices of women, but not at the expense of my brothers, because Bobby displays an image, the image of God and the glory of God in a way that I cannot Um, And that should be welcome. And then also I can display the image of God in a way that he cannot. And we need both. We really need both for that 3D complexity of who God is. We truly believe that God has has a a mother heart and and a father heart. And so one person and one ethnicity and one gender just cannot fully display the image of God. But our God is so complex that we need all the faces and all the hearts. And so we try to embody that the best way we can in how we divide sermons and how we lead this church and how we divide the ministries. So yeah, there's going to be places where we're just our individual selves and we're separately leading. And there's places where we, where we can do it together. Kind of like when you preach a sermon on the same passage, we both are going to preach a different sermon. On the same passage i think that's beautiful that happened to us in class one time seven people preach and there were like five on the, you think every sermon was the same no the lens was so much richer it's like in 3d maybe even 4d in technicolor and we need that because like bobby said it has predominantly the idea of god has been with a masculine feel to it only um, and we need the fullness of our God who is so complex. And we are made in his image. Women are and men as well. And together, just even a more glorious and expansive view of God. And it, it reflects really nicely on, on I, I got in trouble with, a, well, two different friends from different sides of the <laughs> theological aisle, which, which lets me know maybe I'm doing something right, where I said, Paul didn't like patriarchy and he didn't like matriarchy because you huh. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I made that point. I was like, I don't think Paul liked either one because Paul seemed to really like having women alongside him. He didn't seem to like having men doing horrible things. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
ironically enough, the only people Paul ever kicks out of his church are men that he names. Hmm. Never kicks a woman out of his church, especially women leaders. Something for us to think about. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where there's kind of this idea of of as you said, the dynamic view of power or diffusion of power toward uh, towards um, no one gets the final word in that sort of kind of conception. And, and for me, reading Paul, I'm sorry, I'm a Paul nerd. Um, oh, go for it. We know, we love it. <laughs> getting Paul in there, um, like when it comes to, to, to marriage and mutual mutuality and now they're having authority and all these sorts of things. The only time Paul seems to really talk about, quote, prohibiting women, or I would argue prohibiting men as well, uh, is when there's abusive power going on. There's uh, like yeah. one Timothy text. If we think Paul wrote one Timothy, as I suspect he did, uh, all those kind of ideas. The only issue where you see Paul coming down hard on a particular group is the group that's abusing power and lording, mm-hmm. we'll say lording it over mm-hmm. other people. And Paul's basically like, I don't want any of that in my church. And right. it's like, that doesn't mean women can't do stuff. Doesn't mean men can't be in power. Women can't be in power. Slaves can't be in power or right. Gentiles can't be in power. But if I see this sort of authoritarianism for lack of a better, now. then he's going to, then that's when Paul, you see Paul's teeth come out. And I think yeah. that's Galatians in a nutshell is like, no yeah. Gentiles, sorry, or Jew, Jewish proselytes. Sorry. That's not how this works in the church. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we all agree on everything that we're the same. But it does mean you don't get to swing your authoritarianism around in this church, especially well, in terms okay. of leadership. Speaking of authoritarianism, like um, just to play devil's advocate on the coming from the other end. Um, what about like there's a lot of people who say like you don't actually have true equity co-pastoring. And you've kind of answered this already, I think. Um, and in order to balance, truly balance things um, and as you need to be in charge and, you know, and the, I mean, frankly, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, I think, having a senior and associate pastor. Um, my mix. my a senior pastor is a woman. I have no problem being the associate. Yeah, that said, um, there's some people that say the opposite, though. More like um, Ness should and must be in charge. And um, Bobby really shouldn't um, be speaking. I don't think we believe that. We don't, no, but no. at all, because, you know, it, just to, to counterbalance things. So there's a power imbalance, and that's how we're going to, you know, counteract things. That's a great question. And people have asked me that. Friends have asked me that. Uh, yep. Women of color, uh, men of color have asked me that and have kind of said, you know, you ought to be the one in charge. And because of the power imbalance and the dynamics and the paradigms that we're trying to destroy, like Bobby and I completely see where that is coming from. And yep. there may be some places where that that is needed. However, we always think, well, what's the third way? Because it's just switching, switching seats, yeah. right? And so we have wanted to just jump into this third way, into this contrast culture where we're not just switching seats to overcorrect. Yeah. Because deeply, there's just something more deep, more deeply going on. Yeah, agree. Um, I can be, just like you were saying, Nick, I can be just as tempted with power. I could be in the wilderness just like Jesus and want to just grasp whatever the enemy is giving me and say, yep, give me some of that. Give me some of that, but I will turn these stones into bread. And I think in Jesus's temptation, right before his ministry was unleashed, God was testing him under what power he was going to operate. Mm, yeah. And it wasn't human. Yeah. Because in his humanity and divinity, he might have said, yeah, I'm going to turn these stones into bread. Yeah, I'm going to make these men just submit to me because I've been submitted to. Yeah. Um, Division of I power. Think, right. And so deeply inside what is the intent of power 
And I just, I, I keep saying that, sure, I could, I know that positionally and spiritually, I can lead a church by myself. I just don't want that though. I really don't because we've seen something more, more beautiful when we do this together. And I don't want to have that kind of power if, um, because I am but a woman, I am but human and I can be equally tempted. And I think Jesus is my centering place there. His testing in the wilderness three times, he was being tested under what power and under what authority he was going to operate the rest of his ministry. So we're just trying it out. I don't know, maybe in five years we say, well, maybe we just need to switch seats or maybe, or maybe live into some sort of a Genesis one and two. What could have happened? I, I said this in, uh, in another podcast, maybe a month ago, Bobby. And I say, you know, God created woman and man before God equal to God, equal to each other. Five minutes later, sin ent entered into the world, right? We didn't get even get a chance to look at what it looked like for male and female to co-lead together. We did it just like five minutes later, boom, yeah. curse. Um, so I don't know if you want to add to that, Bobby. Um, I think that's that Dr. Frazier quote that we come back to, uh, that shalom is not about shifting power from one center to another. Uh, rather, it involves distributing power among all equally. And so I think that's why we shift our center to shalom and see this other perspective. I think that there are churches where specifically women or specifically people of color need to lead and our white male and white sisters and brothers need to follow in the, in the followship of that. Um, I think what we have our sights on, especially in the context of a friendship that has evolved over the course of 10 years, and there's so much mutuality and so much trust, is that we really do believe tr we can trust each other to pursue that shalom together. And that following of that will mean sometimes that I lay down my power to follow in the footsteps of Inez, my pastor, um, which is such a gift that I have a pastor. Uh, I, I am a pastor who has a pastor in my own church. Like I get to follow a pastor on a regular basis. And, and I think there will be times where we have a reflex towards listening and learning from women and people of color as a way to say, this is how power has been abused before. This is why we're highlighting this right now. Um, but is there even a third way? And a third way that could be uh, a centering of shalom, of kingdom come, of where this thing is headed in Revelation and beyond. And I think we're just trying, we're just, we're just dumb and brave enough to try to pursue that, to try to see that maybe God, maybe there's another imagination of your kingdom, of where we're headed. And we can even try to tap into that right now. What is, so what does this um, look like? What does co-pastoring look like in a church service? Um, maybe in two church services. Yeah, uh, include COVID service or in oh, gathering yeah, services okay. or, you know. Maybe got, both, yeah, because things are a little different both. now. We'll get yeah. into COVID specifically and just next, but what does it look like practically in a normal church service and <laughs> a new church service? What is that? What is a normal church service? It's what is it? <laughs> when we used to gather <laughs> pastors are now producers on youtube and Facebook. seriously seriously uh for us the most practical is that we split sundays she'll preach on one sunday and i preach on the next sunday and there's this beautiful one-two dance of that. I grew up in a church where there were two pastors, and that was one of my favorite things in the world, uh, especially to bring a friend. It was like, you haven't really been a part of our church until you've been here for a couple of Sundays, and you've experienced the full 360-degree view of that. And I think that that's why our differences matter, to harken back to the beginning of our conversation, that they're actually not flattened out that they actually are purposeful. And so we lean into our differences and we celebrate them and we say, see all of it, come and see all of it. Uh, so that's just one of the most practical is that I'll preach on a Sunday. 
she'll preach on a Sunday, uh, the next Sunday, and we'll just go back and forth. It multiplies the shelf life of a pastor too, because, um, you know, ministry is hard enough and we know that, and I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a, I'm a, uh, my grandfather and father, uh, are pastors, were pastors. And we just see the, the deterioration of just a human who is like the sole head of the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's so wonderful to be able to share those responsibilities with, with Bobby. It multiplies our shelf life, our souls, our bodies don't deteriorate because we're sharing the load mm-hmm. and it multiplies the joys as well. So we get to rest, we get to receive. I get to listen to my pastor when he preaches, I am fed and I am nourished. Mm-hmm. It gives me two weeks to think about my sermon. And I think that there's more dynamic there even from like from the people that are hearing from the both of us we are restored and we're pouring out we are restored and we're pouring out so we drink and we pour out we drink and we pour out and over a long period of time it just if you just think a bit of it practically there's 52 sundays in the church that's just sundays without holidays imagine if we divide that so we do that also with responsibilities the more that a church gets formed and we see what kind of ministries we are over it also divides up those kinds of responsibilities and we want to lean into we both know what's happening in in the whole of our church we 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 order decision we order services together we make decisions together but to be able to just focus on a few ministries and divide the org chart that way, I think it allows us to be more fully present than be scattered in 100 places, Um, which is what I see in solo pastors who think they have to be at everything. There's some places we have to be at together, but today I have coffee with a newcomer from our church and we said, you know what, why don't you have coffee? And then this other place, we are there together. It, again, we're sharing power. And the other thing that I want to say that it's not obvious is that we always talk about, we carry the other person in the room. Yeah. So when someone comes to us because they don't know who they go to, like, is it Inez? Is it Bobby? I always, we, we use language that we carry the other person in the room. We honor that we have a co-pastor and I may say something like, let me talk to Bobby about that and we'll get back to you. Or that's, Bobby's actually responsibility or he's over this, whatever. And I think that more and more people are going to have to get used to, yes, we're together. And then there's some things that we're specifically over where we have maybe more, more say more or more final say in those things. Um, yeah. It'll get differentiated that way. And that's a re-discipleship of the church as well. So that they know there's not a solo, solo power. That's very practical. Um, I'm trying to think of other, 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 Places. Yeah, I think about the ways of, that of the sermons. Yeah, one of the gifts for us is we get to cheerlead and champion the other one. Like tomorrow, I'll get to open up our service with the call to worship, and I will just get to cheerlead and champion that this is going to be a beautiful day. And I've heard some of what Ines has been cooking in the kitchen with this sermon. I've seen some of the marinating. I've seen some of the ingredients she has out on the counter. And y'all, it's going to be good. She's going to set a good table. And for people to get to hear you champion the other person, uh, Cholula in the black bean oh, soup. No. And that's just uh, held up. <laughs> that's a gift that I don't think people get to see often in churches where there's just one leader and we get to support the other one. And that's contagious. Uh, when people see that, that we're collaborative and not competitive, um, that something beautiful can come from that. Like what a gift. When I think about the new Testament, when they say, I follow Paul, uh, no, I follow Apollos. Uh, no, I follow Cephas. Like, well, we get to continually say, you don't follow Inez, you don't follow Bobby, we all follow Jesus together. And I think that's disruptive, hopefully in a really beautiful way. 
Amen. I love that. The fact that we're saying, let's, you know, when we talk about a church, we want it to be so Jesus centered that we are trying to say, if Christ is the head of this church, then what does power look like and how we share it? And in the future, there's going to be other pastors. We're not going to be the only two. Um, and the way that we do this dance is going to empower other women and other men to also, for us to say, pastor so-and-so is in charge of so-and-so, you know? Um, when I was learning to be a pastor in my younger years, in my 20s, you know you know how many times they bypassed my positional authority and they went above to the, to the male and said, no, Ines doesn't really have authority. I have a problem with what she did. One of the best things that my, my supervising pastor did back then was to say, no, Ines is in charge over that, over that ministry. Her decision has, has weight. So don't come over here because of race or because of gender. Um, we want to do that for the other as well. And for the other pastors that we want to unleash and identify and equip in our church, not just the two of us. I hope and pray that we live into that as well as others um, are raised in the leadership of the church. And it's a re-discipleship of how we do leadership as well. Um, there's no roadmap for that. There's no clear blueprint. Um, it's complex, but that sharing of power hopefully will go beyond us as well as we unleash others, yeah. other leaders. And so before we get into COVID and how COVID is now normal, I hate mm -hmm. saying that phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's, I want a little thought experiment because I, I want to see how this works just in my mind. So let's say you have someone who well-intentioned obviously doesn't mean what happens to be taken negatively, but let's say someone just, Basically, because I imagine this happens because I see it happen all of the time. You know, both of you are standing there. Well, this assumes in-person worship, but y'all know what I mean. You're, you're standing there uh -huh. and usually the guy, not exclusive, but usually the guy. If I got a question, I go to Bobby. I, I've seen that happen in not my church, but I've been in other people's churches where you have a woman who's a pastor and the man who's a pastor. Uh, she's assistant, but that's her field. She's spiritual formation all that sort of stuff. And the guy goes to Bobby and that's not to say he, the, and I've, and I know the person that is the subject of the question. I, I know this person, he's a good person. He's affirming of women in ministry, but there is that kind of mindsetedness that people kind of need to kind of check themselves. Maybe it's a good word. You need to check yourself. So how, how would you, in, in a situation like that, or it's probably been numerous situations like that, I hate to say, uh, how do you kind of cultivate a sense of, no, we are, and S is here with us. She is a pastora with us. We do this together kind of thing without, how is that done in a, in a positive way? Cause I've seen it. I've seen it all, an instance where the guy basically shamed the guy in the middle of the church lobby for daring right. him. And I'm sitting there like, I know that person. He's not a bad person, but he does, you know, she is a pastor and you, you need to respect her and do all this, but you can't just make this guy feel like he's a scum of the earth in the middle of like 40 other church members, yeah. you know? So how would, I mean, I'm sure you've got stories like this all over the place. So how do you Bobby kind of bring an S in without one doing the tokenizing thing? Cause I've seen that happen in churches all over the place and it's gross, but also being like, this is someone who is in power with me and this is her say, and you need to respect her and include her without shame and without all that sort of stuff. I imagine it's a very delicate balance. It's, yeah. I've seen it happen all over the place, and I, I don't know if I have an answer to it. Um, but how does that work kind of in y'all's kind of situation, or has it? It may not have happened. That's a great question. Um, I think for us, 
we, if there's things that we can solve without needing the other one, meaning that it is not a decision that needs to be made uh, with great intentionality where we have to come together, then that's actually one of the gifts of co-pastoring. I can make a quick decision and then catch Inez up on that. She can make a quick decision, catch me up on that. But if it is something of import and it's something, especially in her field, then I do think it's important to honor the person. Hey, uh, thank you for asking me. That's actually really outside of my leadership. I would encourage you to go talk to Pastora Inez about that. Um, thank you again. And hey, and if you can't get in touch with her, if she's busy, then I'll leave a message with me and I'll go talk to her and we'll get back to you on that. Uh, I can serve as the secretary in that moment and then bring Inez back into that space and do so joyfully, um, not dismissively. Again, we're dealing with muscle memory. We're dealing yeah. with people who've been trained in a certain way for so long yeah. that even the pastors in rooms that are looking at me, I do think it's on me to bear that burden um, and to go like, man, I want to reach across this table right now and just <laughs> let you know, like, this is wrong what you're doing. But the other way is to just try to shift slowly, honorably, um, but also intentionally. Again, you're not just going to make eye contact with me. I'm going to do the best that I can to shift your perspective a little bit and to hopefully help you see something new, maybe even see something that you're doing. So I don't have to be the one condemning you in the lobby, but maybe my action can help turn your body in a different direction. Yeah. And this is like a, some of this is muscle. I like what you said, muscle memory, where mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that they're thinking, you know, overtly, um, but nonetheless, this is kind of their disposition. Yeah. Even people that have like actually had a change in heart, sometimes it takes a while. I think I've done it. To... I've been stupid. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I happily admit, yeah. I, I'm me not... too. I've internalized my own oppression. Absolutely, there's so much unpacking all of us have to do. Yeah, yeah. and none of us are perfect. And um, I mean, even like beyond like perfection, I think there's a overcorrection where anyone who makes a mistake is an evil. You know, dot 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 dot. Yes. And, you know, th there are those people. There are people out there, um, I will say that, but then there's other people that they're trying to do the best they can and they just, they need all of our help. Like we need everyone's help. We need the help of others. It's a re-discipleship. It's a re-discipleship. Yeah. 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 So, you know, things were going great. Addressing the pandemic in the room. Yeah. So, you know, 2016, <laughs> it happened. We thought, you know, the world was collapsing, but, but no. Mm -hmm. 2020 happened. We had to wait four years. We found out that there were mysterious lights above government. We discovered that we didn't know. <laughs> government what... like outposts that can be explained. We, They're we unidentified. Not... We don't know what chapter of the book of Revelation we are currently. We don't know what chapter. <laughs> I'm hoping yep. it's towards the beginning because I could settle for that. Yep. Everyone <laughs> has their own in, like yeah. news outlets now and no one has the right, mm. I don't know, narrative. Mm. Yes. That said, um, so here we are, and we're all um, in various degrees, depending on your state, sheltering in place. Um, Nick and I are in, we're, we're, we're in San Bernardino, Riverside area, and so um, it's a little, it's, it's stricter there, and then there's LA, of course, um, so we're going to be a different place than some of you guys that are mm. maybe, I don't know, across the US, but so... COVID-19. COVID-19 for a church plant and, and co-pastoring and all of that. Like, how's it doing? How are you doing? Yeah. 
Man, my family today, we went to the pumpkin patch. We go every year. We go to San Bernardino, hook a left, go up to Yucaipa, beautiful farms. It used to feel like New England, like used to be this beautiful fall thing. We went this morning, we got to the pumpkin patch and they were all dead and just like deflated, sad pumpkins. And my my 10-year-old son and I just looked at each other and we're like, 2020. You know what happened? (laughs) Pumpkins fight poachers. (laughs) They're, they're deadly. Of course, the pumpkin would be deflated and dead yeah. in 2020. So that's a little bit of, of what it felt like. It is. Will you kind of tell us a little bit about January and February and the yeah. poor month of March? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in January. Um, so we, we have a group of, of uh, core families that we have been doing life together. And even before we started meeting more corporately in January, we just ate once a month and we called it family dinner and we just jumped around each other's houses, did life together. And then we decided that around January, we should open up that core group to a more corporate environment. We met in a house church in someone's living room, very much just organic and spirit led. And the service looked like we worshiped through food. We ate together for one hour, the first hour. We were, you know, eating my grandma's black bean soup. I think that's theological and that's sociological. And we're gonna follow up on that one. <laughs> but on. I want, yeah. Come yes. <laughs> and so we decided that one of the images in our in our church that we value is the table. And that's a very centering image and a centering ritual. And so we we would meet for an hour to eat, and that was worship because of the book of Acts, because of the centering table in the book of Acts. And then we would continue in worship through music, the Lord's table, the sermon, the arts being creative with spiritual practices. And then, yeah, in March, uh, the pandemic hit. So that was completely discouraging because of the organic nature, communal nature, being in close proximity to each other, being able to create an ecosystem that welcomes creativity and food and multi-ethnic and all the things. And so we waited for a little bit. And I honestly thought in the fall, we're going to we're going to come back to in person. This is going to be over. We had no idea. It was terribly disappointing, but I thought the end was sooner. And so somewhere around the summer, we were like, okay, this, there's no end. This is a hard and long and unresolved waiting. We have to, we have to give in <laughs> to the virtual online community, which we were, we were resisting, honestly, mm-hmm. because we, we like the in-person be with each other, the human energy from being yeah. with each other in someone's home, um, living into the book of Acts, living into Acts 1, not even Acts 2, but just Acts 1, just being together across all those lines. And so at some point we thought, okay, we're just, okay, we're going to have to do this virtual thing. So Bob. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a podcast. You can't see her face, but, and as is, she's, she's begrudgingly like gritting. gritting. Tell them about my face. All of the things. Your face has never told a lie. Never that, told a lie. It is a truth teller. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Sunset. Thank so. you for better or for worse for you some days. <laughs> the whole witness. So, um, yeah. So we decided, and and this really just began to be the stirring that was within us. And and honestly, my wife Amy, um, she just began to sense like I know y'all are waiting. You're incarnational. You desire to be together, table fellowship, all that that beautiful stuff. But what if there's something that you could lean into even now? And, and what if there are people who will actually be able to be a part of what you're doing now that may not have been able to be a part of it if you were just in a home? And so that's actually been the, the reality of it is we decided to do about a 60-minute 
Sunday online experience service um, that looks a little bit like a Sunday church service. Um, there's a sermon that's briefer than normal. There's a little bit of worship. Um, there's a call to worship. We practice communion. Um, we might incorporate the arts. We might creatively uh, lean into a spiritual practice of some sort. Um, and one of the beautiful things that began to happen over the past month and a half is that a, a little bit of a community has begun to be cultivated there. Um, some culture has begun to be created there. Uh, some people have hopped on the journey with us and people from really all across the country. And I don't know if we were anticipating that. I don't know if we had eyes to see that that was going to happen. And then one of the other beautiful things that's begun to take shape is an S and I are getting to be in the kitchen together and to be able to cook together and to be able to see what we're going to serve together. And so some of those muscles are beginning to be formed in what really feels like a safe place, a sanctuary, uh, a place for us to experiment, to be curious, to be playful, to grow, um, and also to be honest. And I think that one of our core members, uh, African-American man named Andre, um, he's really like a centering voice. He's just he doesn't always speak, but when he does, you listen. You listen. He says, one of the things I love about this church is this is an honest church. Uh, we will we will be truth tellers, just like an S's testimonial of a face. Like oh. we will say what listen. we Listen, come on we will, <laughs> we will say the whole thing. And we've really been able to lean into what it means to be an honest church. Because often when people hear multi-ethnic church these days, there's a suspicion attached to it. Mm. Do you mean a church that's still white evangelical power? but is wrapped in the clothing of diversity? Or do you mean actually at the heart of this thing, uh, there really is a sharing of the ethnicities being brought together to build something more beautiful together. And I think this has been a place where we've tried to really lean into that and to see what would it look like to not just be another white church with diversity, uh, but to really be a church where we share the table and that gets to overflow out of our heart and our practices. And I think the, the people that are coming from other places, many people have been hurt by church, as, as are we, and are, are longing to see that third way, maybe. And so I think there's some woundedness um, that is being healed, even just from watching us. I was having uh, coffee with one of uh, newcomers in our church today, and, and she was just sharing how there's not one dominant over the other and was even saying, I've never seen a white male that doesn't want to be in control, you know, and it's, and it's so refreshing, she said, for, for for Bobby to be so confident, but also calm and laid back that whenever y'all are shifting back and forth power or leading or whatever, it's just something that I've never seen before. And that we hope that that's the dance of the Trinity. We hope that that's the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us. And so because of the online virtual um, access, other people are having access to us in other parts of the country as well. And what she was saying, I hope that even when we go back to in person, she said, we, when we go back into in person, mm -hmm. she said, I hope that we have some sort of a hybrid because what we have found community online, but also mm -hmm. she's longing to have it in person. Uh, but I hope that others will be able to see what, what God is doing here. That is, that is beautiful and that um, others should have access to it. We don't know what that looks like as this is not what we were hoping for or planning for because we are so incarnational. We want to be incarnational with each other, but also incarnational in our community and be attentive to being grounded in the community that surrounds us and attentive to those felt needs. So some of it, we're just being attentive through the spiritual disciplines of listening and prayer and discernment, both individually together and with 
those that are coming, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm listening to what a woman across a coffee shop is telling me about what the spirit is doing in her and what she is seeing and what it's awakening in her as well, because I think other voices are going to help us cultivate this community. And more and more, if anything, this pandemic has shown us how truly we are in need of each other. Even those of us who are introverts, me, I'm a highly functional yep. I Some days I am dying on the inside going, oh my gosh, I really want to be with people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that I have community with my husband and my son and with the Harrisons, we're a quarantine pod. But some days I really am hungry for other community and just having coffee with that woman today, which I don't think I have had coffee with anyone in the seven months that I don't know. Just that kinetic energy, like this is of the spirit. Like the, that human energy of being with each other, if anything, is teaching us that this is what God created humans yeah. to be in. And so how to cultivate that creatively right now with like online um, and also in person and safely as we are headed back to in person. And then I wonder how it has changed our physiology or idea of community as we go back. I hope that we are different. I think we will be. So what does the next community look like mm. for us? And I don't know. I'm still listening and being attentive to what the spirit is saying, to what others are saying. But um, man, it's like flying, flying the plane while you're building it, you know? One of the other cool things is that we haven't had to fly it alone. We've been able to collaborate with other churches and ministry leaders in this season, unlike any other that we've been able to be a part of, because we're so not restricted by time, like Sunday between 10 and 11, in the same way of like, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm busy on Sunday from 10 to 11, and I can't help with your church on Sunday from 10 to 11. But because there's other elements that you could pre-record ahead of time uh, and insert them into a live service, it's been really beautiful to see uh, different true. leaders across the city and across the country jump in and collaborate like we're not competing we're in this thing together and we're better together so i think that's one of the things that's been instilled in our body from day one is this is not the ns and bobby show uh, but actually it's it's a larger family of the body of christ and we get to share that because there's something better that happens when we do that familia is the framework that we're trying to use so that's i think what i give i bring as a gift from the latino community the familia theology the familia framework the new kinship the nueva familia that that the spirit was erasing lines and drawing other lines in the book of acts and we're just testing some some things out to see what does it look like for a church to be a covenantal community to be a nueva familia across all lines that divide and Yes, one of those things that has been wonderful is to collaborate with other pastors and other leaders to say, these are our people, this is our city, and we want to love on each other and even help each other out. So be present for each other. That's great. Yeah. So um, if some of our listeners are thinking about dropping in at some point, or, you know, there's also people I think that have been um, hurt by the church and maybe they still have Christian faith and they're still interested in these questions, but they're not going to a church right now. Um, how can they find you guys? Um, the church we hope for, how can they find you guys and perhaps participate? Well, mi casa es su casa. Our casa is their casa and they're welcome to the church. We hope for.com is our website. You can see the zoom link there. Um, every Sunday, anybody can click in. We are also projected live on Facebook. So we have a Facebook page, thechurchwehopefor.com. If someone wants to follow us individually and just get to know a little bit of who is Bobby and his family, who is Inez and her family, 
the Bob Harrison is his handle on Instagram. And my handle is Ines McBride with a Y, McBride with a Y on Instagram. And also our church together, the church we hope for um, on Instagram. We try to post things there together as well. Um, so that, I think the that Instagram way is a, is a great way to get a peek in because one of the things yep. we've been doing on Instagram since quarantine time is just these little glimpses, these little snapshots. And so you get a little taste of the flavor in little bite-sized portions of like, mm-hmm. all right, who are these folks? Uh, what's this about? Um, what would it look like for me to join in this? And as had this vision when we were first moving into the online space of calling it the Zoom living room. We're all in living rooms. And so what would it look like for you to enter into the Zoom living room with us? And hey, come sit in the living room from your own living room and we can all be in this together. That's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure and you know, long time coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a gift. Um, I imagine the people that are listening to y'all and the work that you're doing are longing for a new imagination and, and a new vision of what that'd be. I remember years ago taking my kids to see Moana for the first time oh. and just being like, Daddy, are you okay? Are you crying? I'm like, Daddy's not crying. You're crying. Um, is, is Moana the Holy Spirit? Is the water the Holy Spirit? Is her grandma the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? Um, but there was this idea that we are voyagers and the community had forgotten that. They had boarded all of the ships up. They'd closed the cave and they'd forgotten who they really were. And so I think Inez and I are trying to, to reawaken this imagination of hey, you know, we're voyagers, right? You know, we're meant to be out on the water and to set sail and to go to new places. And I think we see kindred spirit DNA and y'all in that, that you're voyagers. And and thank you for inviting us into your boat for a little bit. It's been such a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Look and see if is that the Voyager? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. we have a star. star I'm a Trekkie. Yeah, so we have a little Trekkie thing behind us. Awesome. As I say, I'm pointing at it. Listen, it's not real until you got the tattoo. So you're going to have to. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting us. And thank you for the ways that you have informed our minds, too, and our imagination, even in in direct ways, before you even knew us. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we met, I think, at. I remember that day we met at Fuller. You guys had just moved in. Um, you and your husband, Ines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We just met Bobby for the first time now. But um, I remember you you seemed to know us like beforehand. And- oh, I was stuck in you. Totally stuck in you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Reading all the blog posts. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs>